All right, so we are starting, we're kicking off a brand new series today, which we are really, really excited about. We're going to study through the course of time the entire book of Matthew starting today. But in true Elevate Christian Church fashion, we're not going to start in the beginning. We're probably not going to go in sequential order, and we're going to take breaks throughout the process. So this first section that we're going to talk about today is all going to center around Jesus's ministry in and around Galilee. As you can probably see by the map behind me, you kind of see what that looks like. And I promise you, as we start off today, I'm not going to get too nerdy. I'm not going to get into the details a ton. I'm not going to try to overwhelm you with the master's degree that I just got that studied way too much about this time in history. If you want to have that conversation, more than happy to. You can fill out something at the QR codes to your left or to your right. I'd love to have coffee with you, share some food with you, and we can talk through all the, the nerdy details centered around Matthew promise not going to talk too much Star Wars. It's more Lord of the Rings, if you can tell behind me, which, sorry to my father-in-law, Corey. I know he loves talking about Lord of the Rings. In fact, if you all love Lord of the Rings, you should just catch him after church. He's sitting right there in the blue Kentucky shirt. He would just love to hear all of the things that you have to say about Lord of the Rings. Like, he nerds out on it all the time. But as we get started into the book of Matthew, we need to recognize something. Anytime we study a passage in the Bible, a book in the Bible, if we don't first try to figure out why the person wrote it and to who they are writing to, then we will miss a lot of details and we will misunderstand a lot of what they were trying to say. So as Matthew wrote down this gospel, this account of Jesus's life, we have to understand why Matthew wrote it and to who he wrote it to. And I, there's two main portions of that that we need to recognize. And the first thing that Matthew seeks to accomplish is to, to help all the Christians understand that Christianity is the true continuation of the Old Testament and Judaism. To make that a little bit more clear, there was this big debate happening way back in the first century, right after Jesus rose from the grave, ascended back into heaven. They, they were trying to figure out, all right, we've been Jewish all this time. We've always followed God. But now that Jesus has come and he is the Messiah, are we still Jewish? Are, are we something else? How does this fit into play? And spoiler alert, as we get to the end of Matthew, you'll see in the life of Jesus that there's lots of Jewish people who actually do not accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so they had to figure out, are, are, are we going to be Jewish still or are we going to be something else? And Matthew seeks to rectify that. He tries to help the people understand that this new religion, this new following of Jesus is actually the way we should go, and it is the true continuation of what we have always been up to this point. And the second thing that we're going to find as we study through the book of Matthew is that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near in the person of Jesus. This kingdom of heaven phrase is something that Matthew is going to repeat over and over and over again, and it's not abundantly clear to us today what the kingdom of heaven is, and so we have to analyze that as we go through the entire book of Matthew, because he uses it 32 times throughout his book. So as we study today, these are the two things that we need to keep in mind. This is what Matthew is trying to accomplish, and everything that we read in Matthew chapter 2 today is going to flow from these two ideas. So my main point then, as we study chapter 2, is going to be this, that we need a Savior, and that God's timing is perfect. Now, I'm sure many of you, when you walked in today, already agreed that this statement was true, that God's timing, yes, it's perfect, yes, I need a Savior, that's why I'm here today. 
However, what we need to recognize as we flow from that idea is the people living at this time, the people who were Jewish that were looking for the Messiah still missed him, even though they knew that they needed a Savior, even though they knew God's timing was perfect, they still missed that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. So how do we also avoid missing the truth about Jesus? And if God's timing is perfect, then what do we do when things in life seem to go wrong? And maybe most importantly, if Jesus really is the Son of God, then how is it true that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament? All of these things we will walk through in chapter 2 today, and it all begins with a simple phrase that takes place in verse 1 of chapter 2. Let me read it for you. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, you'll recognize this verse maybe as something that we normally study around Christmas. We didn't experience this, or Jesus didn't experience this moment until probably a little bit later in his life. We're not sure how much later after his birth that the Magi started looking for him. These wise men started looking for him. But we know that it was sometime after his birth. But the, day, the, the thing that I want us to focus on is that little phrase, in the days of Herod the king. The Jews who were reading this, this story from Matthew would have recognized that phrase, and it would have brought a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. They would have been really upset just at that phrase, because those words were the very problem, because it was the sign of things that should not be. Herod was the king at that time, ruling over Israel. He was the one that was in charge. He was the main leader, but he wasn't Jewish. He didn't follow their God the way that everybody else did. And so he was the, the very impersonation of everything that was wrong at the time. In fact, everything that they had believed from the beginning of being the, the nation of Israel up until now has basically been flipped on its head. And this phrase is a symbol of all the things that had gone wrong. It was a symbol of all the frustration that they had experienced. Because King David was, you know, some guy that happened like a thousand years ago. And that was the time, that was like the glory days. If you all remember the glory days of your life, that was the way that they looked back on those days. They remember that that's the time when we were all united, we were together, we had this great king, the king who slayed Goliath. He was this great man who brought the, the Ark of the Covenant back to where it was supposed to be. And that was how we were, they were supposed to live at the time. And they remembered that moment. But from that point, a thousand years before what we're reading today, everything had gone wrong. King David had ruled for 40 years, but near the end of his reign, his kingdom split in two. And then from there, the Israelites were enslaved over and over and over again by different groups of people, by the Babylonians, by the Persians. Alexander the Great actually ruled over Israel for a time being. And then eventually, we find Rome, who ultimately puts Herod the Great in charge of Israel. And so for over a thousand years, Israelites, now called Jews, have just lived in this period of frustration because things are not the way they are supposed to be. I imagine that morale is very, very low in the nation of Israel at this time because of all the things that had gone wrong. In fact, I think the only people that can probably identify with this level of frustration are probably Kentucky basketball fans. 
Because for it seems like 10 years or more at a time, we have to go through these meaningless seasons where we don't win national championships. And it's just immensely frustrating to the point that we want to kick coaches out of our university. And if, if we're not the ones who are the most frustrated, probably Louisville fans even more so than that. Because it's been, it's been more than 20, 30 years since they won, and then there's this like pretend championship that happened in 2013 that they didn't win either. It's been a tough go of it for college basketball in Kentucky. But God doesn't really care about sports. God, God doesn't care about our sports ball games. I mean, we're a football school now anyways, right? That's what everybody says. However, the frustration that we feel has to be nothing compared to what the Israelites feel, felt at that time. I mean, even the, when they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, that was 400 years of slavery, and it was awful. But it's been a 1,000 years since things were the way they were supposed to be. And I've often wondered, I've often had this question, why send Jesus at this point in time? Yes, God's timing is perfect, but if we needed a Savior from the very beginning, if you go back, all the way back to Adam and Eve, it's very true even in that moment, we needed a Savior. The moment sin entered into the world, we needed something to change. Why not send Jesus then and avoid all of this frustration, all of the heartache, all of the evil things that had to happen from that point, even up until now? And it's because we weren't ready. I asked that question over and over in my head. There seemed like multiple times in the, the history of Israel when it would have been perfect timing to send Jesus in my mind. I mean, Abraham, the moment that he realized that he needed to live righteously and everybody else didn't, maybe that was the time to send Jesus. Or when Moses brings the Israelites out of Egypt, maybe that would have been a good time to send Jesus. Instead, he sends the law, which didn't work. They, were, they found this system of rules that they were supposed to follow, and yet that didn't bring them any closer to God because they couldn't keep the rules to begin with. So then we have King David that comes into play because the Israelites wanted this king that they could ultimately follow instead of their king that was in heaven. Obviously, that didn't work because it led to this period of time that we're in and reading about now. Why was this the perfect time? Because everything that they believed, everything they wanted, had slowly eroded over the course of that 1,000 years. Everything they had hoped for, everything they believed in, everything that grounded them in their relationship with God had completely fallen apart. Like I said, the kingdom that they once took great joy in, completely fell apart. But the worst part is what happened to the high priest. If you don't know anything about the high priest, if you go all the way back in the Old Testament and that law that I was talking about, they instituted this new office. And it was the most prestigious office in all the land. There was one person who got to be the high priest. And if you're the high priest, you were the one person within the whole nation of Israel and this entire group of people that gets to communicate with God face-to-face -face on a regular basis. You're the one person that was allowed in the temple in the most holy place. But at this point, that most high office, that prestigious office, had even lost all of its prestige. It had lost all of its shine. It had lost its holiness. Because even this office had become the worst possible thing that they could have ever imagined. It, too, had become a political office. There was all sorts of scandal that surrounded the office of the high priest. 
People would murder the current high priest and then make friends with the new king so that they could be the high priest. And it became this position of power rather than a position of humility before God. And so everything that the Jews had hoped for had all eroded away in the time and the period where Herod was king. And so as the Jews were reading just that little phrase, I am sure it brought all the anger to their mind about the time period that they were living in because nothing was the way it was supposed to be. They had a non-Jewish king on the throne. They had an evil person in the office of high priest. And yet, God's timing is perfect because it was at this point that everyone realized that they needed a savior and they were actively looking for him. So here's what happens. There's a group of, of magi, of wise men, who see this star, this arrangement that happens up in the sky, and they realize something has happened. Someone has come. This new king has arrived. Here's what it says in verse 2. Actually, I'm going to go back to verse 1 and read verse 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So we see this amazing arrangement that's in the sky. And a lot of people have wondered what exactly it looked like in the sky. What would have, drove, would have driven these people who really didn't understand who Jesus was, that they weren't Jewish, they didn't follow our God, how did they look up at the sky and suddenly be able to recognize that the king had arrived on heaven? There's a really good Instagram reel that I actually shared with you all in the notes. If you didn't already bring up the QR code and start following along in the sermon notes of the day, you should, just for that video. It's really, really interesting how someone could have looked at the stars in one specific night and seen just how the king had, had arrived here on earth. I won't get too in, into too many of the details, but suddenly this amazing star happened that led them to this moment. But here's how Herod responds. This is where everything goes wrong. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. You catch that? And everything that we just talked about, listen to verse 4 again. He says, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. Remember, these are now the, the, the leaders, the religious leaders of the time. And Herod the king, who is not Jewish, is able to assemble all of the religious elite to him right now because they all follow him and recognize him as their king rather than the true king that is coming to earth in this moment. And Herod, all in one moment, everything flips. Everything switches. Because Herod isn't a man that wants to worship God. Herod is a man who wants to become God and is afraid to lose his power. But God's timing continues to be perfect. Because while Herod now seeks to kill this baby so that he can remain king, here's what happens with Mary and Joseph. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, he took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt. And they remained there until the death of Herod. This is to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I've called my son. 
And we'll deal with that last part in a minute. But the problem was Herod heard the story of the king and realized that he didn't want to lose his power. And at that moment, at that moment, I, I, I just wonder, how did Mary and Joseph not lose faith? How did they not get distracted? How did they not become frightful of what was about to happen? I know that's what I would have done in this scenario. If, if God had told me I needed to leave because someone wanted to kill my child, I would instantly start to doubt that I was doing what I was supposed to. Because if I'm following God, everyone around me has always told me that if you follow God, things are going to go the way that they're supposed to, right? That everything's going to be good, everything's going to be fine, but that's not the case when it comes to following God. That's not the case with what happens with Mary and Joseph. Yet they choose not to doubt for some reason. And I think it's because when man sees a hurdle, God intends this moment instead to build our faith. I think Mary and Joseph had faith in this moment because they remember everything that God had already done leading up to it. They had already faced so many troubles just to have their baby. But they had followed God through the entire process and every single moment along the way. God had been there and they remained faithful when people like me would have easily doubted. And I think the reason they had faith is honestly like some moments that maybe you can relate with me in your childhood. How many of you guys, when your parents told you to do something, you responded with that that question that always brings the deepest pit of anger to your parents' mind? Why? Like when your parents tell you to clean your room, you're fine. Why? Will you bring the groceries in? Why? Parents hate that word, but I always felt the need to ask it. And I almost always responded with one phrase. When I asked why, my parents said, because I said so. That's right. And I think that's the reason that Mary and Joseph continued to have faith. Because when, when God told them to do something, they didn't have to ask why. They just knew the response was going to be from God because I said so. There's actually moments all throughout the Old Testament where there are people who ask God why, and he simply responds, because I said so. You need to have faith in me. You need to trust in my process. You need to trust that my timing is perfect, and you should line up with it at all times in your life. But for some reason, us Christians today, we struggle so much with God's timing. We don't want to listen to God's timing. We want our plans to be our plans and for God's timing to fit into our plans. But all throughout the course of history, everything has always aligned with God's plans, and it's always easier for God's people when they submit fully to his plans. Because I said so is an answer that all of creation has listened to since the beginning of time. When the stars were put into place, and it was Jesus' voice that put them there, it was God's voice that put them there, because I said so, it was good enough. It was good enough for the earth when it started spinning on the perfect axis at just the right speed. God's word was good enough when the lands and seas were placed where they were supposed to be. When Abraham was called out of his homeland to the place where God wanted him to be, God's words were good enough. When Mary and Joseph were ready to give birth to a Savior, God's words were good enough in this moment. Because I said so was what has led the better course of history all through time. But why is because God said so not always good for us? Been the leading the leading artisan throughout all of history. 
He knows where everything is headed. He knows how the end is going to happen. And yet we struggle to trust his timing all the time. People were left for thousands of years in frustration because they were never fully ready to submit to God's timing. They were never really willing to listen because God said so. His people needed a Savior. They finally realize it in this moment. They become hungry for the Savior in this moment and recognize that there's nothing they could do to be saved. That's why Jesus arrives to earth And it says at the end of Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, it says that it was because the Lord had spoken and out of Egypt he had called his son. We see this over and over and over again, that Jesus was always the person that was coming. God had always made it his plan that Jesus was coming eventually, and he had laid out hints all throughout history. There's several places that are recorded in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. One of those is Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, which Matthew quotes here. It's something that the the Jewish people of the time would have instantly recognized. They would have been sitting reading this letter in their churches, and they would have heard that phrase, and out of Egypt I called my son, and their minds would have instantly gone back to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, that says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. They were ready for it, they were looking for it, and still at times they missed it. And this is just one of the many places where God's truth and plans were on display for everyone to see Scripture was ready to reveal Jesus' coming, and still they missed it. But we see more and more and more as we're going to continue to read through Matthew that because he points out so many of them, we'll be able to see that Jesus was and always has been the plan. He's ready to help the Jewish people right in the moment where they need it most, when they are ready to fully submit to him. And I think this is... Honestly, part of the reason why we, we finished the series we did right before we started Matthew. I think this was God's perfect timing because the whole system of following God had eroded in this moment. And so Jesus was ready to finally step in. And this happens in our lives as well. We've, we've experienced over the last series that lots and lots of people have been hurt by the current religious system, by the church in this time. And Jesus came to correct it back in the first century. And we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit now to correct it for us. We just need to recognize that God's timing is perfect and that we need a Savior as well. Because stuff like this still happens in the present day world. We're going to continue reading verse 16 and look at this terrible story of what Herod chooses to do. Then Herod, when he saw that he, had tricked, he was tricked by the wise man because they had gone off and left and not returned to tell him where Jesus was, became furious. And he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time they had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, another point where Jesus' prophecy was foretold. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, again repeating what had happened before. Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But we heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his hair, and he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. 
And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, and he would be called a Nazarene. So we see from this story that Jesus, even up to this point, had always been protected, and God's timing continues to be perfect because God intervenes and says, all right, Mary and Joseph, it is time for you to return to the land that I've deemed for you. And yes, Matthew gives two more examples in that of prophecies for telling the coming of Jesus. But the end is a little bit different. The end is what gives people like me all sorts of questions. Because if you read that last statement, verse 23, it says, when he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that he was, that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. If you look through the entire Old Testament, you won't find a direct quote from any of the Old Testament prophets. We have this moment where we're like, well, what's Matthew recording here? What's he trying to tell us? How is he quoting some Old Testament prophecy when we can't find this prophecy anywhere throughout the entire Old Testament? Why? Why would this be placed here? And it's because in this moment, Matthew is trying to prepare all of these Jewish readers for what's about to happen. Because yes, they recognize they need a Savior. Yes, they recognize that God's timing is perfect. However, they were looking for the wrong thing. And a lot of times I think we struggle with with looking for the wrong thing when it comes to Jesus. We're looking for a better life instead of looking for a relationship with God. And here's what happens. All of the Jews who would have heard that last phrase, that he had been called a Nazarene, they wouldn't have thought back to an Old Testament prophet. They wouldn't have gone back to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, or any of those other guys. Instead, they'd go back to the book of Judges. And as I read these couple verses from Judges, I want us to realize the truth of who Jesus really is. I'm going to ask the band to come back up as we read through this. In Judges chapter 13, verse 5 and 7, here's what it says. It's talking about the great hero of the Old Testament, Samson. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the land of the Philistines. And in verse 7 it says, But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. They would have remembered Samson. Because that's exactly what they pictured the Messiah should be like. This great warrior, this strong guy that was going to come in and destroy all of their enemies. He was going to lay waste to all the people around them. All the people who had made their lives terrible up to this point. For the last thousand years, they expected somebody like Samson to come in and completely lay waste to all their enemies. Spoiler alert, that's not who Jesus was. And Matthew is setting up all of the Jews to recognize that what they had expected isn't what Jesus was going to be. He was going to be more. He was going to be bigger. He wasn't here to correct the kingdoms of the earth. He was here to lay his kingdom of heaven for all of time and for all eternity. He was going to create a new system that would get rid of the law, that would pass away all of the, the imperfections of humanity all up to this point through Jesus. And while God's timing was perfect leading into this point, they had to understand the Savior that they were going to be looking for. And this is only the beginning. There's so much more to explore as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew. And while it was a story that every single Jew needed to hear at this time, it's still a story that every human needs to hear now. Jesus was the plan. 
He's always been the plan, and he will always be the plan for salvation for all of mankind. The Old Testament prepared us for his arrival, and now the church is bringing more and more people to come to know him. We've just got to continue to trust in his timing. We need a Savior, and his timing is perfect. And you may be at a point in your life where you're looking for a Savior, where that timing is perfect, where you're ready to fully submit, that you recognize that like the kingdom of old, like the Israelites living at this time, that things just have not been going the way that you hoped for, for as long as you can remember. You need a Savior, and stepping into a relationship with Jesus is not going to be something where everything in your life becomes perfect. It's not going to be something where something everything becomes right in your life. But it just does change the perspective. There's a new hope that comes into play. Or maybe you felt uh, uncomfortable for so long, whether it was in church or outside the church, and you're ready to finally follow a God who's faithful. Or maybe you've been following him, but times are difficult. The truth of Matthew is we will continue to see. Do not give up. If God has brought you to this point, he has done so for a reason, even if you don't see it yet. God is not wrong. His timing is perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the opportunity where we can just sit and learn from some of the people who knew you best. That could tell us the great stories about so many things that you did and said and the way that you changed so many people's lives all in a short period of time that ultimately has affected humans for all of history. Lord, we thank you that you choose to love us, that you choose to walk with us, that you will remain by our side even when we are imperfect, that you love us regardless of our flaws, and that even when we are impatient and waiting and on your timing and what you are trying to do, you're still ready there and working. We thank you for all these things, and it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray.